Our first reading is taken from the book of John, chapter 14, starting at verse 15, reading to verse 31. If you love me, you will obey what I command, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counsellor to be with you forever, the Spirit of Truth. The Word cannot accept him, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Before long the world will not see me any more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day you will realise that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace, I leave you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. You heard me say, I am going away, and I am coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad that I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not speak with you much longer, for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold on me, but the world must learn that I love the Father and that I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Come now, let us leave. Our second reading this evening is taken from Philippians, from chapter 2. We're starting from verse 6 and reading to verse 11. We're reminded that our attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth, and under the earth, and every, con- t- and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. If people are inseparable, you always see them together. You never see one without the other. If the bond between them is really strong, you can't really conceive of one of them in isolation from the other one. Because, in fact, their whole identity is bound up in this relationship. It's part of who they are. They belong together. And when Jesus talks about himself, the Father, and the Holy Spirit in John chapter 14, that's the kind of relationship he's talking about. They are inseparable. 
That makes the Trinity very difficult to analyse and hard to understand. You want to kind of compartmentalise them. You want to look at the Father and understand who the Father is, and then the Son, understand who the Son is, and the Holy Spirit. And if you kind of put them in boxes and analyse them, you think you might be able to get a grip on how this works. Understand each of them on their own terms. But you can't. You can't. The very names we give them give the game away. The Father. God can only be the Father because he's Father to the Son. Likewise, the Son can only be the Son because of the relationship he has with the Father. You might think you stand a better chance with the Holy Spirit then. But the Holy Spirit is so self-effacing that every time you try and look at the Holy Spirit, you end up seeing God the Father and God the Son through the Spirit because that's his job, to reveal them and make them known. So in practice, whenever you look at one, you you can't distinguish that one from the other two because they are all interconnected. They are inseparable. You can't deal with any single member of the Trinity in isolation from the other two because the relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is the essence of who God is. You need to consider God as Father, Son, and Spirit in relationship with each other. And it's hard to do and it's complicated, but that is... This is the God we belong to. This is the God we worship. And in John chapter 14, Jesus kind of unpacks something of the relationship that there is between Father, Son, and Spirit. And there's there's only one or two verses that are straightforward. John chapter 14, verse 15, where Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey my command. That's straightforward. We can understand that because it's about Jesus. The rest of the time, all the time, he's talking about the Father, the Son, and the Spirit in relationship with each other. So he goes on to say, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counsellor to be with you forever, the Spirit of Truth. Now we we can fathom fathom that out. Jesus asks the Father, the Father sends the Spirit. The Father and the Son agree between them to send the Spirit to us. The Son asks, the Father agrees, the Spirit comes. It's a joint venture, if you like. And the Spirit is referred to as another counsellor, because Jesus is the first counsellor, the one who comes alongside, our advocate, our helper, our comforter, the one who is with us, the one who stands up for us. And because Jesus is the first counsellor, the Spirit comes to take his place because Jesus is returning to the Father, so he won't be with the disciples in the same way anymore. And because counsellor literally means one who is called alongside, in Jesus' absence, the Holy Spirit is the one who is called to come alongside us, to be with us, to journey with us, and he stays with us forever. The world and all those who base their view of reality on the material world can't see the Spirit, they can't understand the Spirit, they can't get to grips with the Spirit or know the Spirit. So they can't receive the Spirit. But Jesus says, you know him because he lives with you. You know him because he will be in you. So this kind of knowledge is not an intellectual knowledge. It's a personal knowledge. It's a relational knowledge. You can get to know about someone by reading a book about them. But that's not the same in any sense, as getting to know them personally, face-to-face, as a friend, for yourself. It's a different kind of knowledge, a different kind of understanding of who they are. One is just intellectual and abstract, the other is 
personal, relational, emotional. You can get to know about God by reading a book about God. The Bible is a good place to start, actually. But countless books have been written about God. And if you type God into Google, you get one and a half billion results. You can spend a lifetime reading about God. But it's no substitute for getting to know God for yourself in a personal relationship. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. That's the Holy Spirit's job. That, that's his greatest desire for us, that we should not know about God, but we should know God personally and have this relationship with him and this understanding of him. So the Spirit enables us to get to know the Father and the Son for ourselves. He reveals God to us. He makes God known. And he enables us to see God not as, not as the great unknown, the great unknowable X which could so easily be the great nothing, he enables us to see God as Father. Not just the Father of Jesus Christ, but our Father. One who we can trust, one who calls us into relationship with himself, one who provides for us and cares for us, who never lets us go. And he enables us to see Jesus not just as the Son of God, as a human being who lived 2,000 years ago and and lived and, and died and rose again, but Jesus as God with us. God for us. Bone of our bone, flesh of our flesh. God becoming one with us and making us one with himself and with the Father. So in John chapter 14, verse 20, Jesus talks about being in the Father, indwelling the Father, always being in the Father's presence, that relationship with the Father that he's had from eternity. And then he says, and you dwell in me. You are always in my presence. And then he will dwell in us. He will always be in our hearts. And it's as if the kind of relationship that Jesus has always had with the Father is made available to us. Jesus has always been in the Father, but now we are in Jesus and he is in us. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. He includes us in the relationship between the Father and the Son. So that Jesus' Father is now our Father. And Jesus is in us and we are in him as Jesus is in the Father. And we can be included because there's although it's an eternal relationship, is not an exclusive relationship. That's why they created us in the first place, to share that relationship with us. Their family is an inclusive family in which we are made warmly welcome. We are invited to leave our isolation and our loneliness behind, join the family unit and find solace in their company. That's part of what Jesus means when he says, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I will come to you, he says. Orphans. He's aware of the bereavement they will suffer following the tragedy of his death. Promises he won't leave them bereft. I'm going to come to you, he says. Why orphans, though? Maybe he refers to them as orphans because... Children without their parents are a poignant image of vulnerability. Orphans don't just need comforting, they need protection and providing for as well. Jesus says, I know how grief-stricken you're going to be. 
I know how vulnerable you're going to be. I know how much protection and provision you will need. I'm not going to leave you in that state. I am going to come to you. Comfort you, provide you, be with you, take care of you. I'm not going to leave you as abandoned orphans. Even so, it's a strange word to use. Orphans are children who've lost their parents. And while the disciples are about to lose Jesus, he isn't their father. His death doesn't leave them orphans. So why use that term? But maybe it's all to do with the way in which you, you can't deal with Jesus as God the Son in isolation from God the Father. Jesus has said to the disciples at the beginning of the chapter, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He's the one who makes the Father known to his followers. He says, no one comes to the Father except through me. So if you know Jesus, you know the Father into the bargain. That's why Jesus can talk in terms of the disciples losing him. And that's like they're being left as orphans. Because without Jesus, they don't have the Father either. If Jesus is the only way to the Father, as Jack made the point so clearly this morning, the only key that unlocks that box, the only access we have to God. And without Jesus, we don't know God as Father either. Without Jesus, they are left orphans. Yet he says, I'm not going to leave you like that. I will come to you. And at one level, that promise refers to the resurrection. The risen Jesus referring to my God and your God, my Father and your Father. When Jesus rises again from the dead, he says, you know, the relationship I've had with God is your relationship now. When he returns from the grave, the disciples once again are in touch with the Father through him. I will come to you, he says. Yet it's not just those disciples who were around and encountered him after the resurrection. It's a promise that applies to us as well. I will come to you, Jesus says, because he comes to us by the Spirit. (coughs) Refers to Jesus coming to his disciples and to us through the Holy Spirit. He says, his disciples and we will know the Spirit because he lives with you, he says. He will be with you. And then straight away he adds, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. The implication is that when Jesus says, I will come, he comes by the Spirit who lives with us and will be in us. By the Spirit, Jesus lives with us and will be in us. And because Jesus comes to us by the Spirit, he brings us into a relationship with God as Father so that we are no longer orphans, but we are adopted into God's family as his beloved children. So again, it's, it's a question of how inseparable Father, Son and Spirit are. When Jesus comes to us by the Spirit, he enables us to know God as Father. You encounter one, you encounter the other two. You get to know one, you get to know the other two. You receive one, you receive the other two. They are inseparable. Distinct, but inseparable. It's like going to someone's house. And they say, come on and come on. This is my friend. And instantly being adopted as a member of the family by the parents and everybody else. Not just your friend, but our friend. And if Jesus acknowledges us as his, the Father and the Spirit do the same. We are brought into a relationship with all three through Jesus dying and rising again for us. We are brought into a relationship with all three by the Spirit making his home in our hearts. 
a relationship with all three when the Father acknowledges us as his children. We are members of God's family, not just for the duration of our stay, but for eternity. Welcome to the family. That said, being accepted as a member of the family brings its responsibilities. We are not guests to be waited on hand and foot. We are made so welcome as members of the family, we are expected to muck in and play our part and pull our weight. To work alongside Jesus and the Spirit in this world for the sake of the cause of the kingdom. This relationship is one which changes our lives because we are no longer free simply to do our own thing. We are placed under obligations of love. Time and again, Jesus says, if you love me, you'll do what I say. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. If you're going to sing the songs and hymns declaring I'm Lord, you're going to live that out in practice. His acceptance of us is unconditional. But once accepted, we have a responsibility to play our part at fitting in. To show that we are members of the family by how we live. Displaying the family likeness in our lifestyle choices. It's a relationship which we are brought into by grace. And it's a relationship which changes us. Who we are and how we live. And changes us for the better. We love him because he loves us. And if we love him, we'll do what he says. Play our part as members of the family working alongside him for his kingdom in the world. So Jesus says, if anyone loves me, they they will obey my teaching. And he continues, my father will love them and we will come and make our home with them. And there you have the inseparable members of the Trinity again. My father and I will come and make our home with you, he says. How do they do that? By the Holy Spirit. It's the Spirit who takes up residence in our hearts. And as he does so, he communicates to us the presence of the Father and the Son as well. And if the Holy Spirit is living in your heart, then your life becomes as much the dwelling place of the living God as heaven is. I will make my home with you, Jesus says. And that means God is living in your heart permanently, not just on Sundays when you come here, but 24-7, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, whoever you are with, God is present with you and actively participates in what is going on if you invite him to do so and allow him to do so because your heart is his home. And you can no more leave his presence behind you when you walk out the front door than you can leave your heart behind you. Because wherever you go, you carry the dwelling place of God in your heart. Wherever you go, God goes, and he is part of everything you do. And it's in his heart that whatever you do, you should do it for him, with his help, by his grace. And that's all part of making your heart his home. Playing your part as a member of the family. Getting involved and mucking in and just belonging. Living out that belongingness by how we live and what we do. And there's a sense in which it's down to us to make God welcome in our lives. I've talked about him making us welcome. 
His unconditional acceptance, his unconditional love. He includes us in his family and makes us feel at home. He does this because he loves us and because it's in his heart to do so. But it's also in his heart for us to love him and make him welcome in our hearts and our lives. Consider this and it's a bit mind-boggling. There is nothing the creator of the universe wants more than to become part of your life. To make your heart his home. To be your constant companion in everyday living. Coaching you and helping you to live it well. And enabling you to find the source of your fulfillment in this relationship of love that continues for eternity. God didn't make us to live our lives in isolation from each other or from him. God is fundamentally a relational being. We see that in the way that Father, Son and Holy Spirit are inseparable. They have been inseparable from eternity. And they made us in their image as relational beings as well. Father, Son and Spirit together with one mind say we want you to be a member of the family. We want to include you in our relationship with each other. We want you to belong. How come they do that? It's very simple. It's just because God is love. Love.